Hello everyone and welcome to episode two of Under the Week. I'm Alex Grosser. And I'm Alex Manning. As always, we're brought to you by the College of Law. Law school is only the first step to admission. The next step is practical legal training. The College of Law provides the largest range of flexible practical legal training programs in Western Australia. Visit colllaw.edu.au to learn more. That's C-O-L-L-A-W.edu.au. So for this episode, we have aimed a little bit higher. Uh, no offence to Steve Shaw, but we've now got Justice Jennifer Smith of the WA Supreme Court back in pre-coronavirus times, or at least before corona got to Perth. Uh, we went to interview Justice Smith in Chambers. Yes, after removing our shoes and other such difficulties, we managed to get a bottle of wine and suitcase full of wires and blinking lights past court security into a judge's office. So enjoy. Judge, uh, thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you. It's a, a pleasure. And to start us off, Judge, could you please tell us a bit about your, your current position and your career so far? Well, I'm uh, a judge of the Supreme Court of Western Australia, and I first came to the court as an acting judge in August 2017, and I was permanently appointed to the court in June of 2018. At the time I came to the court, I was also the acting president of the West Australian Industrial Relations Commission, and I continued with that work as well uh, until the end of 2018. Now, you didn't go directly from high school to university and also didn't immediately start studying law when you did, in fact, go to university. What was your pathway um, to law school? Well, I grew up in Geraldton and went to school there. I uh, went to Beachlands Primary School and then to Geraldton High School. And when I left school at the age of 17, um, my initial thoughts in life was that I just wanted to explore the world, uh, particularly Australia. So I initially went travelling for a couple of months and then came back to Perth, went to Teachers College, but that wasn't entirely successful. I'm afraid teaching small children uh, wasn't really something that I was suited to and I was particularly young at the time, so I left after about 18 months. I then worked in various positions for almost about 10 years mainly clerical work, I travelled a lot and then I decided I really needed to do something with my life. I started studying at Murdoch University uh, at that time uh, through what was called correspondence because that was the days before computers. You would be sent course materials posted to you and all your communications with the lecturers and tutors would be in writing, there was no email. It was very difficult to actually even speak to someone by telephone. Bit of an issue for late enrollers. Yes. So I studied philosophy at Murdoch for about 18 months and I really loved it and enjoyed it. And for uh, a period of time I went and moved to Perth and was studying full time at Murdoch. But one of my lecturers said to me, you're doing really, really well at studying philosophy but what are you going to do when you finish your degree? And I thought about that and I thought, well, I really want to get into a career where I'll never be bored. So I thought, well, why don't I see if I can apply to study law? And at that time, the only law school in Western Australia was at the University of Western Australia. So I enrolled and that was in 1982. And were you, were you immediately successful at law school? Were you one of those students who sort of felt at home right away? No, or, okay. no. I really struggled. Because I'd been studying philosophy, which 
is really about worldviews, and the law is a very is a very disciplined subject whereby you have to analyse everything down to minutia. I found it very difficult to transition my thinking and learning processes from philosophy to law. So I really struggled in my first year of law school to the point where after my mock exams in the middle of the year, um, at that time at uh, UWA, all of the assessment in each year was through 100% exams at the end of the year. I got my results back and I failed everything. And I went to see the dean who at that time uh, said to me, well, gosh, your marks are so low, perhaps you should consider leaving. And I went home and thought about it and I thought, well, no, I'm not going to leave. Um, I, I really enjoy studying law, but I'm obviously approaching this in the wrong way. So I then started approaching the learning of law in an entirely different way uh, and I really started reading all of the cases in a great deal of detail, summarising all of the points and memorising a lot of cases, which is really the, 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 tool, the tools that you need to be a successful lawyer. So by the time I left law school, I started at the bottom and ended up at the top of law school because I was fortunate to be able to graduate uh, with first-class honours. That's a very impressive turnaround and then to go on to a very successful career as well. I suppose you did have the last laugh compared to your first-year results being a judge now. Yes. You started at the Crown Solicitor's Office. Did any particular cases or events stick in your mind? Well, I was really lucky to be offered a job at uh, uh, the Crown Solicitor's Office. So what was fantastic about the office is you got exposure to administrative law, commercial law, wills, probate, constitutional law and criminal law. And I went to work at the Crown Solicitor's Office initially as a professional assistant to Dr James Thompson, who teaches constitutional law at the University of Western Australia, and he was also employed in the office at that time. And after working for him for a year, I then was a professional assistant to Kevin Parker, who was then the Solicitor General. And that experience working for both of them just stood me in the best possible position to be able to progress my legal career because I was able to spend two years doing research work, uh, really honing my skills in analysing legal problems, locating cases, which made my launch into my legal career uh, much easier, I think. I then did my articles because it was, they had an article program at that time and I moved from various departments and once uh, I finished my articles, I then became a restricted practitioner and began appearing in court. Um, I conducted my first criminal trial six weeks after I was admitted. It was a terrifying experience. Uh, I was unsuccessful, but I then filed an appeal and had my first appearance before a Supreme Court judge some six months later, and the appeal was successful. It was simple, a very simple matter of possession of, uh, of crayfish. Possession of crayfish? Yes. Undersized crayfish? Un undersized oh, okay. crayfish, yes. Interesting place to start out. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. 
So after your time at the Crown Solicitor's, uh, Solicitor's Office, you then went to the Industrial Relations Commission and you were a commissioner or senior commissioner there for a combined total of almost 17 years, I believe? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I was. And so what did, what did those roles entail and what's that area of law like? The Western Australian Industrial Relations Commission uh, has a number of functions. It exercises both arbitral functions, which is creation of industrial awards, regulating people's employment conditions. It deals with also disputes between uh, unions and uh, employers about working conditions. At this time, their jurisdiction is largely restricted to the public sector and to private enterprise whereby people are employed by individual employees and not corporations. Why, why is, has that changed over time? Do they used to that, have broader That coverage? changed over time because of the, the federal government introduced legislation uh, to rely upon the corporation's power sometime in 2000, perhaps was... This good old work choices? This say, is called yeah. work choices, yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Work, cho- work choices, which then uh, had the effect that if you were employed by a corporation, you were then covered by the federal system. And were you, as a commissioner, were you solely a trier of disputes or were you involved in the mediation side as well? How did, how did that position Well, work? as an industrial commissioner, you are allocated various industries and you deal with each one of your industries, but you're involved in all of those functions. Okay. So each member of the, of the commission sit on the full bench, sit on appeals with the president of the commission. And for the last almost nine years that I was there, I was the acting president of the commission and that role was different in that I only sat on appeals. So that's far closer to a judicial role, I suppose, than the yes, others are. Yes, yes, it was. You never worked in private practice. No. Do you, f- do you feel this has had, I suppose, an impact on, on your career path or the way in which you approach cases even? I don't think so because working at the Crown Solicitor's Office, which is now the State Solicitor's Office, the office was very much run on the same basis as a private law firm. All the uh, lawyers, doesn't matter whether you're a junior lawyer or a senior lawyer, you have to fill out timesheets every day, you have to keep them, and those, those timesheets are used to render bills for the work, the legal work that you carry out to the government agencies for whom work is provided to, and the hours are crushingly long. They certainly were crushingly long when I worked there and I doubt whether it's changed very much. Uh, when I was there, I was involved in a, uh, a very broad range of work because I mainly practised as counsel. For the first five years, I did quite a lot of criminal work, but then later more commercial work and was involved in a broad variety of matters such as uh, planning, environmental law, a lot of contractual disputes. Well, I could go on and on. It's but I used to appear regularly in both the, the district court and in the Supreme Court. So it would sound like almost a broader range of experience than you might yeah. get in private practice. Well, it depends because it depends what area of work that you work in. And I was lucky enough to work as general counsel. So I uh, was able to receive work from in a wide variety of areas, whereas other people tend to specialise. I suppose it's not uncommon as well for public and corporate to jump from one yes. to the other. Well, the profession is a lot more mobile now uh, than it used to be. Once mm. upon a time, 
um, after you had left law school, you do your articles, you get a job in a firm and you would stay there for a very, very long time. That doesn't happen anymore. A lot of people now uh, go to the bar and that's uh, one of the very good things that has happened in the last few years is that the Western Australian bar has grown a junior bar, which they never had before. People who wanted to practice as a barrister wouldn't go to the bar unless they were very, very senior members of the profession. But now there, there are lots of uh, programs that have run uh, by the Bar Association which foster younger lawyers to be able to uh, go to the bar at a much earlier stage whereby they are encouraged and given junior work and junior briefs and uh, there are a lot of very good education programs as well. But the good thing about working at the Supreme Court is because all the judges have different backgrounds and do have different uh, strengths. Do you find that diversity beneficial? It's very beneficial because if a matter comes in and if it's a matter that you haven't dealt with before, there are a number of judges that you can go and speak to and say, well, I've got this issue, have you had this issue arise before? And you can speak to them generally about well, what are the, the principles I need to consider in a particular matter. Pool of experience that you can go to whenever you need. Yes, it's, it's a very collegiate environment. So I suppose to, to move on to your time on the Supreme Court, you were appointed an acting judge in 2017. Yes. How does, this, how does the process of being appointed actually work? How, how do you find out? Is there any kind of training or qualification? What, what happens there? The way in which I became an acting judge of the court is, is a little different to the usual... Uh, pathway, but in in, seven, in 2017 I had for some time had insufficient work at the Industrial Commission to occupy me because over time, because the federal system had largely overtaken the work of the State Commission, so the number of appeals to the full bench was considerably less and I uh, had made it known that I was looking for some additional work. I was then asked by the then Attorney-General, who is still our Attorney-General, whether I would take up a position as an acting judge of the court whilst I was still carrying out my functions in the Industrial Commission, and I agreed to do that. So for a period of time, I was working here part-time and at the Commission part-time. And then a vacancy came up at the court, and I was then asked by the government as to whether I would like to be appointed full-time. It's a pretty exceptional workload. One foot of judge and the other still working in the commission. Well, I didn't take on a full load at the Supreme Court in my acting capacity, so I was able to do both positions. Being a judge is something many law students often think about, I'm sure, myself included, um, but they might ne- don't necessarily understand what all of that entails. What is the working life of a judge actually like? Well, people, when people who are not from the law ask me what I do for a living, I say I write essays. So Remarks. things don't get any better? Yeah. No, <laughs> no, they, no, they don't. Um, well, I'm, I sit uh, mainly in the civil and commercial division of the court, so almost every th- matter that I hear, I have to write a judgment. So that's my role, really. I sit in court, hear matters, and then... Um, I write a judgment and there's always judgments to write. It would be really good if you could actually catch up and have none outstanding but that um, never happens. I think all judges at this court and 
and uh, I think at most court, most courts in Australia feel incredibly privileged uh, to be offered a position to be a judge because the the work is very important. It's very important for all judges to give a hundred percent of their effort uh, to their work, and I really enjoy what I do, and I think at least at this court. Almost every judge, I think every judge who works here very much enjoys their work and we all feel very privileged uh, to be able to do it. But it is a very busy job. The workload is, is very heavy and uh, we all of us um, spend a lot of time out of hours uh, writing. I imagine it's one of those things you can't really get away from. Uh, no, no, no. I'm always thinking about... Um, a judgment when I'm out walking the dog in the morning or if I'm standing in the shower, something might suddenly pop in my head and I think, oh, yes, maybe maybe Set I should think about that, yes. Yeah. Do, you, do you feel sympathy for people who come into the court? Do you feel that you want to try and help them improve whatever situation they're in or do you have to really distance yourself from what happens? Well, judges are human, so it's, it's very difficult well, to completely separate yourself when people perhaps self-represented or in some of the criminal matters that I deal with, it's difficult to not to feel sympathy for people. When you walk into the courtroom, you put all the, you, you have to, and I, and I do, I put those feelings aside. The job of a judge is to apply the law. Now, you're one of only five current female judges uh, out of 22 and one of only nine in the history of the WA Supreme Court. Do you feel proud to be one of the first women on yes. the WA Supreme Court. Yes, I do. I feel very privileged because of that. And unfortunately, we're now down this week to only four wow. because we had one retirement last week. So there's only four uh, female Supreme Court judges in Western Australia. I should have researched a week later. Then. <laughs> <laughs> you're also heavily involved in the, outside of your judicial work, you're heavily involved in the Law Access Program and especially the Walk for Justice. You were the top individual fundraiser for the Walk for Justice in 2017 and 18. Uh, what is your role there and why do you feel that these activities and these issues are important? Well, I was also the, the highest fundraiser in 2019. You, you you'll go. see that I've got three. You've got three trophies got up three there. Trophies they gave you a particularly there. big trophy yes. for 2019. You should have yes. done that one a year later. Yes. Sorry well, about that. That's all right. Uh, well... I wouldn't say that I'm heavily involved in law access, but I'm certainly I certainly do participate every year in the Walk for Justice. The Walk for Justice is incredibly important. The work that law access uh, do is probably, I think, one of the most important roles in the justice system in Western Australia. Litigation is is incredibly expensive and often people who have deserving cases are unable to either commence proceedings or maintain proceedings without legal assistance. So it's really important for the entire profession to get behind law access and other agencies who provide pro bono work. So just to be clear, law access is a program that, or their main function is as a program that facilitates pro bono work, I suppose. Yes, they don't, okay. they don't uh, employ lawyers who provide the assistance. People can make application to law access those uh, applications are then um, assessed. Then Law Access approaches lawyers who they have on their various panels who will provide pro bono work in particular areas. They also uh, have a list of matters uh, whereby Law Access is looking for lawyers to undertake particular cases. And is that something that 
all lawyers tend to get involved in to an extent, including quite senior lawyers? Because I suppose there might be a bit of a the misconception that a pro bono lawyer is not necessarily going to be the most experienced legal counsel you could find, but is it something that everyone gets behind? I think you'll find that they do, and if the Chief Justice had his way, every lawyer, as a condition of their practising certificate, would have to do a certain number of pro bono hours a year. I say that tongue-in-cheek because I have not suggested that to him, but most of the big law firms have pro bono partners, um, and I've certainly had matters before me in the Supreme Court whereby lawyers from what you would call the big end of town have appeared uh, pro bono. One final question, I suppose. What do you look for in an associate and what would you say to current law students who are considering applying for associateships either at the end of this year or sometime in the future? It's difficult to say what I look for in an associate because I do get a lot of applications each year for uh, a research position. I only employ one research associate each year. Some other judges employ both of their associate positions for a year at a time or or they'll employ one person for a year and another person for two years to rotate between the main associate position and the research associate position. What's, What's the distinction between those two? There really isn't much of a distinction, although the research associate orderly position was traditionally... Uh, position it was held by someone who wasn't a lawyer, but in recent times judges have employed law students to carry out those functions because they can then utilise the research skills of young lawyers, whereas in days gone by court orderlies would be usually retired persons who would have not be involved at all in the law, so they would uh, perform functions, what we call ushers or orderly function in the court, swearing the witnesses in, organising the court, taking all the judges' papers down to the court. Do they still exist separately? Well, the way the court is structured now is that there is the main associate position and the research orderly position. Both of them will do research work, but the the main associate position will also do a lot of administrative work for the court and the research orderlies will do research for the judges and do the checking of judgments. Um, I've led you down a bit of a tangent there, but uh, go back to my original question, I guess. What, what would you advise students who are considering applying for associateships? Well, I suppose the, the reality is that you need fairly high grades uh, to apply because it's very, very competitive. I think last year I had over 60 applications for two positions. Uh, for one, one posi- position. For one wow. position. One position. Um, and if you're able to get a position on the court as, as an associate, then you'll get a lot of experience in not only analysing legal arguments, but you'll get to learn how to, how to write, how to research and watch counsel in court. Uh, plus, you'll have quite a bit of experience in dealing with the the profession as a face-to-face contact on behalf of the judge, uh, sending uh, emails to the uh, profession about matters which are listing, all sorts of experience. I have been told by one senior lawyer in a law firm that if they're able to, they try to employ as many ex-associates from the court if they possibly can because someone's been at the court for 12 months, that's equivalent to being in a law firm for 
several years. So it's a very good sort of breeding ground, I suppose. It's a very good breeding ground, yes. Well, I think that about wraps it up. Thank you very much for your time today, Justice Smith. Thank you. And thanks again to College of Law. We'll be using some technological witchcraft to keep recording monthly episodes with interesting individuals while everyone's stuck at home. So stay tuned.